Are you listening to Discovery Debrief? And uh, so did I. It's Jason Isaacs, who was, at some point, some version of Captain Lorca. Right now, I'm just a fan. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Discovery Debrief, a podcast setting a course to discuss the future of the final frontier in Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek Picard, Strange New Worlds, Lower Decks, Prodigy, and more. I'm co-host Chris Clown. I'm joined by two members of our bold panel of Star Trek franchise explorers, including Rachel Clow. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> God, okay. It's just getting weirder and weirder. Right? <laughs> and, and Cicero Holmes. Steer into the curve. You know what, Chris? Uh, soon, um, the number of Star Trek shows will just be the podcast. Yeah, really. I right? mean, it's, it's, it's going on for, for so long. It's gonna, we're, we're, we're approaching Gary Shandling show uh, levels of, of like long intros and i know of at least two more they're probably gonna make so i'll, I'll probably yes. have to retool that a little bit uh gary shandling show uh look it up kids yes yes yeah well we're, we're not alone unfortunately zach you couldn't join us tonight but we are joined by a very distinguished guest and a uh a, a titan among star trek fans uh a filmmaker and a a very talented one at that Trexpertise's own Mr. Kyle Sullivan. Kyle, thank you for being here today. We really appreciate it. Uh, my pleasure. Like like Gary Shandling, I'm also from the late 20th century. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we have a couple of different things that we're planning on talking about. Of course, uh, the the primary reason that we're all getting together today is to discuss the, uh, the first two-parter for the brand new Nickelodeon animated series, Star Trek Prodigy. Um, so our Nickelodeon side of our Paramount plus subscription is actually getting some love beyond blues clues for once. So that's, that's kind of cool. But, um, we also wanted to, to sit down with Kyle because as luck would have it today, he dropped an incredible half hour video essay that dissects and examines the construction of the modern blockbuster and uses that basis to compare two very distinguished streaming series from spacefaring franchises, the Mandalorian from star Wars on Disney plus, And of course our namesake show star Trek discovery on what is now paramount plus. So um, before we, we kick it off uh, Kyle, before um, you, you talked on, off mic a little bit about your inspiration for part of the video, but I'd be curious to know, what uh, what was it that really got you inspired to make this specific kind of comparison in the first place? Um, well, I've got a longstanding conversation and a little chat window that's been going on for years now with two pals of mine that are both Star Trek fans. And we've been talking about Discovery and now Picard and lower decks and all that a constant daily drum this is it's it's in my the corner of my computer every day it's sort of like a i don't know every, everyone's probably got this at this point but it's like a um just an artifact of 21st century life you know this is how we interact with people and i just have this long conversation with two great friends of mine and we're all having the same problem in that 
we feel kind of weirded out or we don't quite understand what's happening with some of the newer Star Trek series, all the Kurtzman stuff, but we couldn't quite put our finger on it. And so this video comes from us trying to debate and figure out, well, what is happening here? Because like all the ingredients are great. Why is it hitting each of us differently? Why are fans so divided over it? And I'm just trying to answer the question, you know, what is happening now with the franchise that's different than before? And the only thing I could figure out was that they're sticking to a form factor uh, that they think they should be sticking to, um, and maybe they should, that is sort of directing the course of the ship, so to speak. And I, it's a thesis. You have to prove that it's true. I'm not sure that it's true. You know, Kurtzman may watch and be like, what the hell is this kid even thinking? Um, rightly so. But I'm just sort of doing an archaeology on it and just trying to answer the question. Why is The Mandalorian so much fun? And why does it feel different than what's happening in Star Trek right now? And everyone's mileage differs, I know. But I think even if you love Discovery or Picard... I think you can. I think it's possible to see the contours of the form they're sticking to, this sort of like blockbuster form. And I don't know. Are we onto something? No clue. Just trying to answer that question, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, I think it's a conversation that's generally worthy of having. You know, any uh, any franchise that spans as much time and as as large of an audience as both of these, and I think between Star Trek and Star Wars, you get the the bulk of the global population that has seen at least some example of of one of these things um as usual i was deeply impressed with just your acumen and the construction of the piece and you lay out your thoughts very very logically there were a couple of things that i disagree with you on um but i know that cicero has some thoughts and i was wondering cicero if i'd like to just throw it to you and Engage right. well, with the yeah. with the artist, the creator, the archaeologist. As sure, it sure, right. Uh, welcome to the comments section. Uh, <laughs> oh, my favorite. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, well, I mean, first, first and foremost, uh, I mean, this video is is like so many of your others. Uh, I know that we have we have sung your praises on this show uh, many, 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 many times. And uh, again, with 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 uh, good reason, uh, incredible, engaging video, right? And and that's what you want to do, right? You want you want the viewer to see your thing and have a conversation with you as they're watching your content. And I definitely was having a conversation with you. There were times in that in that conversation where i was like you know what you're right right as you're as you're spelling out what a blockbuster means for this thesis the thesis for this essay as you're spelling out what a blockbuster is you you nailed everything right and i i won't what i won't do is get into the weeds of what this is i'm going to assume that many of the people that uh, are listening to this podcast right now have not seen the video yet. So I will, I will do my best to not spoil anything while also talking about um, my impressions of the video. And uh, so the, what I'll say is that the blockbuster part 
you, you absolutely nailed it. You absolutely talked about, um, what you believe the blockbuster to be. I agree with you in terms of what a blockbuster is. I think that there are, um, there is obviously more nuance to it. There, there are, uh, more things that have kind of encapsulated what a blockbuster is now. Uh, and, and as you write you know, one of the things you suppose is, is that, uh, blockbuster is a genre now. Uh, and, and it, Absolutely, it absolutely is, and and as a result of it being a genre, then that means that anything can be part of that, right? So any type of now subgenre of film, right? Because you can have a sci-fi blockbuster or a western blockbuster or a dramatic blockbuster or you know even a rom-com blockbuster. Like they 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 can all like all of those things can happen, and 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 to to differing degrees we've we've seen them all um so that part i definitely agree with the the part that i took the most umbrage with was the fact that years it's no spoiler to say that you don't you're not a fan of discovery and picard um as much as other people and and actually you know picard and lower decks even um you know like it it's lower on your on your totem pole of of trek trek videos um you make you make the statement and and it's you know it's definitely true for you but you you make the statement that those shows aren't good as as fact now they're as fact for the video because you're the one that is making you know making those assertions um but so where I took the umbrage was as you're making, so you're making your claims as to why a thing is how it is based on, based on your essay and your thesis, but using the opinion as fact to, uh, to state your case. And so that was where I took the biggest umbrage with, with, uh, with what you had to say, but I, I enjoyed the hell out of it. Now, what you got to say about that, bruh? Uh, not, not a whole lot. I, I appreciate the praise. Uh, whatever the message is, I, I hope the delivery is always the best I can deliver, you know? Yes. Um, I, I hope I didn't come across as, as, as a, as a hate thing. Or no, no, that, no, not a hate thing. Yeah. Or that these shows aren't like, I didn't, I, I don't think I ever said like they aren't good because, uh, more than probably a lot of people, it's important for me to acknowledge like everyone's got what they want to like. It's right. a film is an utterly subjective medium. Yes. And there are people liking all kinds of stuff, myself included, that have no deserve deserving of likes and Batman and Robin, maybe. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was, a, that was a dig at Ra- Rachel. <laughs> I, I like Batman. And Rachel. Rachel likes the 60s show and that movie is very evocative of the 60s. I that- feel like you're trying to justify my like for Batman and Robin too much. Maybe a little. You, you don't have to. You don't is have to make bat- excuses for me. Is I that the it. bat nipples? Bat nipples. Yes, bat nipples. Your love is fine. That's okay. Nipples are great. Kilmer had um, them too, though. Like people forget. That's true. Kilmer yes. had them too. It's yeah, all they, you know. Clooney it, had them first. <laughs> Clooney nipples a little higher on the rung. Anyway, yes. Um, <laughs> uh, if that's not a hashtag by morning, um, 
it, my point is, is it's all subjective. And uh, I, A, I'll be the first to admit if my thesis is like wrong. It, it does come across strongly saying it as a thesis. It is an opinion. Um, and B, like all of the, the like Discovery and Picard have immaculate um, ingredients. Like all the actors yeah. are fantastic. The right. visual effects are mind blowing. Like if TNG yeah, looked like that, we'd all lose our minds. Absolutely. Um, and there's so much going. The score is yeah. some of the best right. score right. in the whole franchise. I think what I was trying to diagnose is this blockbuster form that there's too much of it going on. And <laughs> the, um, the general structure, the, the general threat between season two of discovery and season one of Picard is a really good example. How they're both kind of fighting like nefarious the same AI. Right. Right. <laughs> and that the universe is at stake every time. Like this is a yeah. very uh, key yeah. ingredient to any modern blockbuster. The whole MCU is built around it. Independence day and all this kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I just remember Star Trek doing that every now and then, you know, like it's okay for the universe to be under threat. Villains, if you're listening, you can right. attack us just <laughs> so often, not every day. <laughs> you know? I, I think everything can work there uh, in the long term for these shows if they pulled back on the need for the form so much. Let, let the stories and characters breathe. Like it had Patrick Stewart in it, man. Right. Believe me, I love the man, and uh, I really love Anson Mount and the gentleman who plays Saru and Doug uh, Jones. Yeah, I'm fond of a lot of the stuff they tried to do and some of the concepts they put in there. My quibble is with form factor, and it's okay if you want to do blockbuster because let's admit there's some great blockbusters out there, and the idea right. of, of a romantic comedy blockbuster. Man, do I want to make that? <laughs> right. um, that sounds awesome. Um, but I think that's it. I think it's like too much. And pull that back some. And I think you might have something like The Mandalorian where the pacing and the structure. It, I mean, it's not a blockbuster structure over there with those guys for that show. But the pacing, I don't know. We just had more time to really love the characters. Everything in Discovery, for me, moves pretty quick, you know? Like, a, yeah, like so, a Marvel movie. Yeah. Uh, well, and and you're not wrong, right? You're not wrong. But the but the ingredients are very different, right? Like you can you can take a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and and elevate it to white linen service, but at the end of the day, it's still two pieces of bread, two pieces of something with peanut butter and jelly on, you know, peanut butter and jelly in between. and But it could be the greatest peanut butter and jelly sandwich that you've ever had. And it's, it's a, it's a poor comparison, but, but a comparison that, that I'll make and saying that the Mandalorian is like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich when, uh, uh, discovery is kind of like a bouillon base because there, there are more ingredients, right? There are more players at stake. There are more people that you've got to pay attention to. There are more things that are stirring in that pot than the Mandalorian, where there there are, you know, it is it is Mando, it is Grogu, and it's it's the the you know again it's the man with no name type of uh, trope that they're mm -hmm. that they're drawing from that is that 
was ref- is refreshing because it doesn't happen as much, right? Um, where the closest we've gotten to it in blockbuster format has been uh, Nolan's most recent film, Tenet. Well, in terms of like the Western influences, I think right. it's worth mentioning too that what is now the predominant blockbuster film used to be Westerns prior to like Jaws, right? We're probably a little bit further back than that, but um, it was, there's a reason why Western types of stories uh, really resonate with audiences. And we, we don't see that very often, but if you are able to tap into that, then it can be deeply fulfilling the blockbusters if I were to, because I don't know if I would necessarily make the argument that Discovery is a better show than The Mandalorian. Um, right. I don't know if I believe that. I like both of them, but I don't. It um, might be too different to compare. Maybe it could be two different kinds of jelly sandwiches. Yeah, right. yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, that's possible too. But if 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 I see like any particular strength from Mando in direct comparison, it's that the cast is smaller. You can focus on more intimate moments, but at the same time too, I guess if there was anything that I like raise my antennae at when I was watching the video, uh, I, I really kind of feel like Mandalorian like leans far more into nostalgia than discovery does at least like discovery late season two into season three. Um, Grogu's imagery is entirely based off of a character from the original trilogy. True. Uh, for some reason, the Star Wars franchise has this deep obsession with maintaining the original performers' faces, <clears throat> and Star Trek will actually recast characters. Yeah, that's true. That and, Luke Skywalker. Oh god. Yeah, it's a, and, and, <laughs> I mean, and even in their in their films, right? They can't get Carrie Fisher's face right, no matter how hard right. they try. They tried in Rogue One. They tried in Rise of Skywalker, and it didn't right. work. And I, I mean, I had a hard time watching Rise of Skywalker. Anyway. But um, <laughs> it was a uh, what's the technical term? Oh yeah, dumpster fire. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but I mean, the, so 2019, the saving grace for Star Wars was the Mandalorian, and yes. I, I feel like it's precisely because the cast, particularly in that first season, was smaller and it was able to tell a more personal story, exiting those kinds of blockbuster stakes as you described. I, At this, oh. Well, I disagree with you a little bit, only in that I have this filmmaking philosophy, like, it doesn't matter what your subject matter is. I think what matters is the presentation, like the story matters, Mm -hmm. the script matters more than anything, but like your presentation makes it dull or boring or exciting, right? You can film paint drying and make it really great. Um, You know, small cast, big cast, I don't, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't consider that the limitation unless there's like a business deal on the table or you know, well, all, cast all members I, have to have certain number of minutes per episode or something like that. Then it starts to ruin the thing. But I don't think Discovery is suffering from that. All I mean by that is that with more characters, there is more heavy lifting that the story has to do in order to properly serve everybody. And it's easier to to focus with a smaller. It's, it's not a universal rule. Absolutely. But particularly in like blockbuster genre or in even in other mediums, like in comics, for instance, if there's a bunch of characters that a story is revolving around, it takes a talented writer to give everybody their service. That's all I mean by that. 
That's true. That's true. And, and even, like I said, the ingredients for discovering Picard are good. There are good writers in, in those rooms. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Now, I did want to ask you a question um, because one of the components that you discussed was that Star Trek might have hit its high in the 90s with TNG and with DS9. Um, so it just kind of occurred to me that if there's a core difference between the Berman era, like the height of the Berman era of Star Trek and what's going on at least right now on the ground with the with the Kurtzman era, it's that serialized storytelling plays a much bigger role in the franchise now, whereas at the height of the Berman era, you could tell more episodic stories. Do you think that has anything to do with it? No, I don't. I think I I love, love serialized storytelling. I'm not ever going to go back. It's it's rare that I can go back and enjoy it with modern shows doing episodic. It, it's it's like sitting down to a richer novel, you know. And I think Star Trek absolutely should be doing that kind of thing. Uh, when Discovery first came out, and I and I was excited that they were doing that because it meant we could dive deeper into the universe. And in in a certain couple of dimensions, we absolutely have. Um, I don't think that Star Trek should be limited by those particular form factors. Play around, do different things. I mean, Lower Decks shows you that you can you can go much shorter and do comedy and and right. be more like Family Guy or something like that, and still you know hit what you need to hit, and still be a part of the the franchise. I don't I don't think the episodic versus serialization and DS Nine proved that you know Discovery's second season proved that. Mm-hmm. They did a kind of mixture of both. And for quite a few episodes, right. it, it was very strong. And DS9 had that same dichotomy where they were fighting between the two genres and eventually serialization broke out. But now in this day and age, after Breaking Bad, if it's not serialized and, and Star Trek tried to go back to episodic, I, I would have been very unhappy. At so are you concerned it. then about Strange New Worlds? Because they say they're going back to an episodic format for it. They, they're probably going to try what, in my opinion, what discovery did in their second season. I think they're going to figure mm-hmm. out a way to at least have character arcs moving through individual stories. Uh, I think that's the smart move. If they do it completely episodic, I just don't think, I just don't see them doing that. Cause mm-hmm. like with the next generation and the original series and the other 24th century shows, the, uh, you had different writers show up sometimes uh, you know, science fiction authors from novel land came in to write episodes and stuff like that. For Strange New Worlds, they have the same writing team. It's going to be the same people in that room for the whole season. So, like, they're not, I think they're going to have to continue some threads just to keep themselves sane. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Well, um, as usual, of course, though, it's your work is thought provoking and. Yes. I think the thing that I appreciate the most about it is that uh, you are, you're assertive in presenting your opinion, but it doesn't come off as, uh, as barrel chested, if that makes sense. You know, you, you lay out your case in a manner that I think is uh, a, a level of respect for your own audience that has been lost among other segments of fandom. So from one nerd to the archaeologist, thank you. 
right. A better a better archaeologist than, than Indiana than Jones. Indiana Jones. Uh, <laughs> yes. As long as we admit he's bad at his job. Um, <laughs> he, if you go and actually he's made verbal. me realize. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, it, yeah, yeah, exactly. He has a degree in anthropology and he's punching Nazis at the office. <laughs> Something has gone wrong. Um, no, man, you know, I, I don't I'm not gonna pretend to hold uh any kind of like this is the way it is uh, about right. this because I'm I'm you're not going to say this is the way right. <laughs> this is the way because <laughs> the, the writers room and the people who make these shows are either they are thinking on those, along these lines or they absolutely not they're not and you know they're going to be like why does this guy from Alabama keep saying things in our direction <laughs> um, I'm happy to be wrong it's my inner scientist but what I'm worried about and what I've always worried about are those fan divisions you've talked about because there's a lot of nonsense online. Just undue hate um, that directed at Discovery, directed at these properties for no other reason than vanity or whatever. But like, there's some hideous stuff out there, and I don't want to be connected with that. Of course, because I'm yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to figure out what what my deal is. Why am I not as happy uh, as I should be? I mean, we're getting a lot of great new stuff, and I'm just like, am I a curmudgeon? Am I just a Am I yelling at kids to get off my lawn? Well, I'm worried. Not to deviate too far, but unfortunately it does seem like uh, entrenched ideology has a lot to do with some of the most vocal components of the voices, unfortunately. Um, And it's a, it's a shame that that has infected escapist entertainment to such a degree. That's, I think that's what I find most personally disheartening, but um yeah, the the volume just needs to come down. But as long as Twitter exists, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> no, uh, guys. As yeah, as an as the internet season uh, senior citizen amongst us all, um, let me let me tell you that uh, prior prior to the internet, um, fanzines were Twitter. And if you go back and again, I will. I, you know, I've referred to it before. We've talked about it before. If you go back to eighty nine fanzines. Talking about TNG, you would hear the same type of uh, vitriol, right? Very mm. aggressive vitriol. Now, what you don't get is the same level of engagement, right? Because right. it's it's seven letters and the end of the end of your fanzine, uh, as opposed to you know thirty seven hundred tweets and and. 10,000 retweets and likes and, and comments and, you know, and all of these things that happen in, in a second, you get seven letters a a month, right? Like that's all you get to read is, is the hate and the editors get to choose how they want to spin it. Right. They'll, you know, they'll present, it's almost like, it's almost like cable news, right? They'll present a, a story that, that is the science is already out on, but we'll give you one person for the pro and one person for the con, even though the pros outnumber the cons 97% to 3%. Mm-hmm. But it makes the viewer seem, you know, the viewer who is uneducated look at it and see, and it seems like, oh, well, you know, it could be one or the other, right? And and that's kind of what we got with the fanzines. It's also kind of what we're getting with Twitter because instead of, the editors making those choices, the algorithms are making those choices for you. So if you start engaging in vitriol about a thing that you love, because you're trying to figure out why these people are, are not 
as enthusiastic or or as engaged. Like maybe you're you're genuinely curious about why these people are saying the thing that they're saying, and you you roll down this rabbit hole. Eventually, you're going to be part of the rabbits. You're going to be a rabbit popping out of the hole at some point because that is all you wind up seeing as a result of of what Twitter is showing you yeah. um, or social media is showing you. I have to and, say that your uh, your analogies are awesome. Well, now we're oh, I love the rabbit thing. The jelly sandwich thing was perfect. This is the, yeah. this is the this is the carrot on top of the carrot cake. Right, right. There you, go. <laughs> you can use it. Um, so, but like it's. We've got we've got to make sure that as these things are happening and as you're viewing these things and as you see yourself starting to spiral, that you that you, you know, you peek your head above the water for a second, grab some air and remember like, oh, wait a minute, Mm -hmm. this is happening to me on purpose. Let me go and seek out like I know I can't be the only one who feels this way about this thing. Let me go and seek out those people. And see if I can find those and maybe it'll balance it out and give you give you some, you know, balance to the force. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, it, it's funny because like my opinion about that is if, if I'm not happy about something, I usually just be quiet and go away. Sure. Um, especially on social media. I've 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 stepped into waters I shouldn't have repeatedly. Now I've been, I've been burned. I've been hit in the face with a carrot cake by a rabbit. And um, I know I know enough to step away and just be quiet. And unless I have something to say, then I'll step in. But um, sure. I forgot where I was going with that. The uh, the re- I had I was so unhappy with the end of that last season of discovery and what happened with the card. And maybe it was a saturation thing. Maybe I just needed to step away. I did step away and I wasn't like making a personal vow that I'm just not going to watch star Trek for a while. Uh, but it was looking that way until Chris said, Hey, we're going to talk about prodigy. And I watched prodigy today and man, I don't know if this is a good segue, but that was yeah. some of the best star Trek I've seen in 20 years. This is a great, that's a great segue. No, I think that- I was I was pleasantly surprised with Prodigy. That was really cool. I suspected you might be, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to ask you specifically to be on this episode with us. There was some, for some reason after I had finished watching it, I was thinking, "Huh. I know that he's been rather unhappy with the direction. What if this is going to hit him a little differently?" I'm curious, so- why do you think that? What is different about Prodigy to you? That's different from Discovery. That's different from Picard. The stakes um, and the, I guess it, it's taking a different approach than Picard did of, of removing the, uh, the mechanisms of Starfleet from the equation by leaning a little bit more into, um, into something that's scrappier and it just feels a little bit more, I don't know, renegade. I guess it, it has, it has less of a, um, a manufactured quality to it. And I think part of that might stem from the fact that it's designed for, for all ages, because as a comic book fan, I've never been anti all ages entertainment. You know, it's just how it strikes that, that is key. And it, it strikes me as leaning into, uh, even just little bits of it, leaning into the idea of the itic. Uh, being something worth fighting for. I think it's also, I mean, to sort of play within the things that you 
you mentioned in your video, Kyle, I think that it's it's expanding the universe somewhat significantly <clears throat> compared yeah. to uh discovery and picard especially and and lower decks which are you know largely playing within the uh, bounds of what's been mapped out already and um here we're just kind of in prodigy we're definitely expanding into areas that we haven't seen to the extent that at first i was a little bit put off personally because i was like this mm-hmm. feels like star wars like they're doing yeah. star like mm-hmm. aping star wars and uh but it won me over so, so you don't in star wars for instance you don't hear someone say a new language is a window into another culture <laughs> i mean it was that's mostly funny. just the evil robot guy yeah, that sure. i was like yeah, that's a, little... a star wars like evil yeah. robot guy but um <laughs> well, i expected uh uh um uh, Obi Wan Kenobi to pop up. No, right. right, right, fight the point, right. <laughs> well, Kyle, before you detail your perspective, uh, Cicero, give your thoughts on on Prodigy, and then uh, we'll round the circle. Um, it was an amazing show. I had a blast with. I still don't understand why it ex. No. I'm happy it exists. I don't understand why it exists. I still don't know who the audience, like, I don't understand why it's a Nickelodeon show. Please explain to me why it's a Nickelodeon show. Like, what, again, I will say again, who are the kids that this is, like, this is for? Maybe a seven-year-old who knows what a Kazon looks like. Right, like, so you've made this very fun show for all ages, now I've sat down and I've watched my I've watched Star Trek with my seven year old. What step? What's the next step? What's What's after Prodigy but for a seven year old? TNG. Are they gonna really like? Yeah. They just watched Prodigy. Are they gonna go back and watch this old show? I mean, probably not. But uh, the it's awesome. T- TNG, right? Right. Yeah. I can force I them. I don't know. It's it's old. Like, well, what it seems like is that maybe, maybe I can get them to watch Voyager. Maybe, depending on how how uh, pivotal a role Janeway is in the show, and so like so that you know there is at least some connective tissue between. Uh, Voyager and and Prodigy, Prodigy yeah. but Daddy, why but, are those like, salamanders hugging each other? Right, yeah, exactly. Well, like, when two what? salamanders love each what? other very much at warp ten, <laughs> right. at transwarp, right? Yeah. right. <clears throat> Daddy, when's Ensign Kim going to get promoted? Oh. <laughs> you just made me sad. Right. I was thinking the whole time, did. how great would this have been if it if this were the live action they launched with and. Into 2017 instead. I mean, I I dug the the premise. I I did. I don't think it was because it was expanding that I dug it. I dug it because everything. It just wasn't convoluted. It was really to the story, straightforward. Even the the references they made. There was a Kazon. There was a a member of Morn's species was there. There was another like classic Tellerite. Uh, yeah. Tellerite, right. all in the yeah. same place. Like how the hell are those guys next to each other in the galaxy? What year is it? Um, right, but the references they made were, you know, 
they, they didn't lampshade them. They just sort of made them and kept moving. And right. I was like, oh, that's that's nice. I want it like that. Just a little subtle, gentle tea, you know, a, a candle. I, I don't know. Well, and um, if and just if this was if this were the first ep- if this were the first series that was released in the Kirkman era of uh, or the the new era of Star Trek television, um, and it was live action, the not my Trek crowd would have said, "This is Star Trek, not Babylon Five. They would have, yeah, yeah. right. I mean, what the hell is this Babylon Five crap that you're trying to pl- you know pass off as? Voyager 2.0. Get it out of here. Yeah, but the, uh, and those people would be upset no matter what. I mean, like you said, yeah. TNG had Fair. detractors right. back in the day. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I was also just struck by the the beauty of the animation. Like I I, oh, yeah, I expected great. it to look good, but I didn't ex- the the obvious example is when the protostar goes through the waterfall. I was yeah enchanted by i mean i love starships that are descended from matt jeffrey's designs in general anyway but there was something yeah yeah oh absolutely and i uh, apparently the the time frame has been codified as 2383 so Mm -hmm. this isn't too far ahead of time 2383 83 yeah so four years post nemesis three years after what we've seen in lower decks uh, okay. so Admiral Janeway is conceivably still out there somewhere. Um, Captain Picard might still be in command of the enterprise. I don't know if he was promoted by that point or not. And we've also heard that Robert Beltran's coming back to this show. So, um, it seems like if they're making, if, if the, the creative team behind prodigy is making their bed, they're making it with Voyager. Mm-hmm. And right. I mean, Voyager it seems, at least to me, maybe you guys have a different perspective. It seems like it has become more popular very recently. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's good timing because as far as I know, they started animating this show like three and a half years ago. So um, a lot of lead time, but definitely wow. an interesting premise. Yeah, Voyager has gotten some yes. redemption over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. It's been really interesting to see. I... I Everywhere I look, people write off Voyager, but now now that online is fully online, I, I see a lot of Voyager love. It's it's nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder I wonder why that is. Uh, it could you know, it could it, be uh, Kate Mulgrew is a complete badass. You know, yeah. when she popped up on yeah. Orange Is the New Black, she yes. entered back into pop culture, so to speak. And like, sure. maybe people were like, you know what, I miss Star Trek Voyager. I'm gonna go back. To <laughs> and it was it was really good to hear her in Janeway mode again. And it's her, but it's not, which is probably a good way to go about it, especially if you're going to be using all of these new characters and maybe this is in the Delta quadrant. I mean, it's, it's hard to tell. I mean, they're all Delta quadrant species. Uh, Tellerites aren't. Tellerites Tellerites are not, right? The Morn species, it's unclear, but he's been hanging out in the Alpha quadrant on DS9. Yeah. Uh, Morn in particular, you know, is he an outlier? Is he living in the neighborhood? I don't know. I was like, these references are interesting. Somebody thought about them. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe they're in the gamma quadrant, or like medium in the gamma in the gamma quadrant on their way to the delta quadrant, like on the far end of the gamma quadrant. That sounds awesome. I like that. <laughs> 
They could, I mean, they could run into some serious problems if they're in the gamma quadrant, though. Presuming the geography of the quadrants. <laughs> um, yeah. The founders had quite a reach the last time we saw them. So, right. uh, but I mean, there's. Th- but they were also dying. I mean, considering the villain that we saw in this first episode, I kind of shudder to think what the Borg would look like if they ever encountered the crew of the Protostar, you know? But at mm. the same time, with what they established in this first episode, they don't need to go back to what we've seen before. I'm sure that we'll see some of what we've seen before, but it doesn't feel like it's a requirement. And I think that's the thing that I find most personally exciting as a Star Trek fan is that they are happy playing in in new territory that Mm -hmm. is just disconnected enough from the things that we know but uh, if it wants to, it can dip its toe back into things that have been established to hopefully tell us a story that's worth telling. It feels like that's what they're doing, too. With the references they made so far, it feels exactly like that. We're in a new space. So, um, Kyle, you're watching Experience. I'm curious. when you Going into it, how much about this show had you paid attention to? And were you... Were you just kind of hoping, all right, you know, prove prove to me that this is something worthy of my time? My expectations were like like that of a of a regular bloke walking into a subway, really low. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't expecting like a quality peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Right. Um, so I was. That's why I mean I was pleasantly surprised by this. It was it was firing on all cylinders. It was a very strong story. The characters are interesting. Uh, either I'm seven or somebody's doing something right. <laughs> I mean, I, I could be both. I wasn't expecting anything. I saw the trailer, and you know, just because of the saturation level, and part of that's because of what I do on YouTube. Like I'm watching this stuff all the time. Right. I'm just like I'm not interested. And so I just turned off everything. I didn't read any articles. I didn't. I just stepped away and then walked into this almost cold. And was like, "Wow, okay, uh, whoever's doing this is really killing it mm-hmm. so far." This one episode is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of it made a great first impression. Yeah, Rachel had a very similar uh, perspective. It seemed going into it, didn't you? Oh yeah, I was not very interested at all. Um, I don't know why. I just like was like older children's media just doesn't interest me the, the rise of ya i think you made reference to right I don't, I don't, I, perhaps i don't know i say a lot of things um and you say i say a lot of things you know, you that i'm not sure i said okay. but um yeah i well it's just yeah i'm not really a huge ya consumer at this point in my life so i just felt like it was kind of like a like a ya thing that i just maybe wasn't going to be that interested in and i i liked it and i liked the um the sort of main character kid he reminded me of like a 90s main character like uh, who's like Ben Ten or something like that, or I don't know what Ben Ten is. That's after my <laughs> or before my ten. I'm not sure. Right, but, but no, I think it's after it's your after time. time. Okay, yeah. but yeah, he just I like I he was kind of like I feel like Nickelodeon in the '90s or something had like all these like little attitude kids that were like like yeah. adults are stupid ah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, we're gonna fly the ship ourselves no parents yeah <laughs> no parents. yeah and so i kind of liked that 
um even though i thought i wouldn't i don't know since i become like an adult and a parent and kids are doing stuff and i'm like no these you should respect your adults don't <laughs> behave like this when i was your age <laughs> but um yeah <laughs> like, why i order <laughs> exactly like in home alone i'm like this poor little boy somebody <laughs> or, yeah oh, my, my thoughts yeah. on the realism of home alone are yeah are multitude. <laughs> uh, a friend of mine is fond of saying it's a movie it's not supposed to make sense um yeah yeah i was really turned off by the the crew like uh, beforehand before watching i was like oh man is that a rock creature in a blob is that the dog i don't understand they have a dog on board? Uh, but like i was totally charmed by all of it mm-hmm. like i said i'm seven yeah. apparently yeah, it's fine. Right. Yeah. i'll grow up it, yeah so, so are we all uh you know i i was i i uh was eagerly looking i mean it's, it's star trek right so like if star trek comes on tv i'm gonna watch it because it's star trek now i don't have to absolutely love everything that comes on uh and and i don't absolutely love every bit of star trek uh media that i've consumed but i, I you know i like it enough um right <laughs> um but but what i really thought about was the other you know the the other side of that coin that you that you put in your video which is the star trek the star wars universe and how much I enjoyed all of the um, cartoons that were on Nickelodeon or Disney XD or whatever they happened to be on at the time, Clone Wars and, and, you know, Renegades and Rebels and, and all of the other shows that, that came on that Rachel hated eventually. Um, she liked Clone I, Wars. I, 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 yeah. I yeah. You like Clone it, Wars. But then I like, forgot it promptly. Like right. it fell out of my brain. <laughs> you were an Ahsoka fan. You were pretty excited to see yeah. Ahsoka in live action. Um, sure. Uh, but it was, it was like, I, I knew that I would have fun with a bowl of, you know, lucky charms <laughs> and, and, and watch and watch this show and at least know that, I can eat a bowl of Lucky Charms and and watch some TV that will will pair perfectly with Lucky Charms. Okay, we got peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Yes, <laughs> yes. got a rabbit and yes, uh, yes. the rabbit hole of inseldom or or terrible things. Well, yes, the rabbits are bad. Um, <laughs> right, and now we've got Lucky Charms. I'm just going to keep track. Now, I'm going to write these down. Yes, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah, I've, I've been working out, so I'm really hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, like I, I, I was going to, you know, I knew that I was going to try and consume it, but I, but I, yeah, I genuinely loved it. It, 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 it filled that same hole that those other shows did where it was like, it was, you know, it was YA action and language, but it was, you know, it was, it was definitely all ages entertainment. Um, and it was a wild ride that I got to enjoy and it was colorful and it did it, you know, it pushed all the dopamine buttons, but I'm still like my biggest problem with it is not really a problem, but it's just the thing that I don't understand, which is why is it on Nickelodeon? Why is it a show for like marketed on the kids network? Or maybe, maybe uh, this just came to me. Maybe Nickelodeon isn't Kids Network anymore. Maybe a Nickel- maybe Nickelodeon 
is a network for kids who were for adults who were kids when Nickelodeon was a kid's network. I've got a, I've got a little blue dog to show you. Uh, right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but who's watching that little blue dog? We're putting uh, it on. For her. We are putting it on for. Her. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, right. We're controlling yeah. the thing. Well, yeah. to uh, to 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 counter that, if it is okay. indeed for kids, in my opinion, and happy to be wrong on this. Uh, the original series, the next generation, and, and probably DS9, probably all of that era of Star Trek. Right. To me, the sweet spot they're hitting is young adult. Like if you're a teenager yes. and you wonder by the TV, you're gonna get hooked. Oh yeah. You know? Oh yeah. You know, it's yeah. it's much harder to sell if you're older. Look at this and like, is that a dude in a rubber costume? Get away from me. You know, <laughs> right. if you're 40, harder sell. I think. Right. You know, it's seven to ten. I honestly watching the show, I thought, really, are kids this smart? What do I know? You know, right. I was like, I kept thinking the whole time, like I'm being entertained by this. I understand what they're saying about all this stuff. Is it? Is it a? It's for seven and up, but like maybe the kid is going to be smart. Maybe that's a good sign. Maybe they're going to be a future Trek fan if they're a smart kid. Right. You know, I don't know. Right, and and I think that's that's the key, in, in, at least in the perspective for me, uh, and being having observed uh, comic book based media for. Mm-hmm. the majority of my life, you know, comic book movies, they understandably get beat up on because they, a lot of them tend to be very samey with some exceptions. Um, but at the same time too, you look at the history of those characters and they were very much designed to be blatant morality tales for children. That's, that's how they were conceived and the problem is that as people like me grew up and were still attached to those those characters, um, the the creators started to create stories that were catered, catering to that older audience. Uh, you you not only see it in the movies, but you see it in the source material as well. To the point where a few years ago there was an issue of DC's Black Label which is a new imprint that is designed specifically for older audiences that made headline news because it showed Bruce Wayne's genitalia. Um, is it, is it shaped like a bat? He's got like bat underwear. Totally unremarkable. <laughs> totally unremarkable male genitalia. It was like in the shadows. I'm not really sure what he's, they were going. He was for. compensating for something. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> come on, clearly, Bruce, you got the money. You could have done something. <laughs> right. and it, like sometimes those kinds of and as like Batman is one of my all time favorite fictional characters, bar none. But I also understand that in the wrong hands. That is a character that can come off as overwrought and uh, maybe too deeply self-referential. I actually don't agree with your conception of him as a libertarian at all. Oh, no, I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. (laughs) I mean, I don't really think that, but it was funny. It was funny. It was funny. I can't can't unthink it now. (laughs) But but then, you know... the the problem with that, and as as someone who worked behind the counter at a comic book store for seven years, uh, when kids would come in, and I worked in a college town and served people, you know, in the eighteen to twenty two demo, largely that was most of our subscriber base. That's who the books were aimed after. But then occasionally, when a kid would come in, there's a lot less of them 
at least using those recognizable characters, but at least they still exist. Comics that are designed for kids, comics that are designed to be something you can pick up. That's not going to have the Joker slitting someone's throat right in the middle of it. It's going to have the Joker squirting his flower in Batman's face and throwing a pie at Robin, you know, that stuff. There is a place for that stuff. And for these media conglomerates who have these longstanding intellectual properties, it's important to be able like just like this is this is kind of a cynical argument, but it's important to be able to create those new fans. But at the same time, just from the perspective of a fan, you would like the access to be there for children. And Prodigy provides that in a way that Star Trek has never really catered to maybe since 1973. Well, I, I think that some of what's happening with the, the genre media in general is that the people that are making it are having to keep up with, a, with an aging demographic, right? It, it's right. all getting darker and grittier terms that are completely overused uh, because <laughs> they're trying to keep up with who, people who are now adults that used to buy their products or watch their products or read their products. Um, Kids now don't know who half these people are that we're all, as adults, talking about on podcasts now. I think Star Trek stands apart a little bit. My friend Brendan talks about it as like a secular Aesop's fables. (laughs) I always found it to be accessible at most age ranges. And that's something that good science fiction can do. But Star Trek has also been part of that changing demographic. Like, I don't know what the average age of a Star Trek fan really is, but I'm going to guess it's probably... 40 something at this point and skewing quite older because it's an older franchise. Sure, so right. like it makes sense. The reasoning for prodigy makes sense, I guess. But like I said earlier, when I was watching this thing, I just, I felt like I was the audience and not a seven year old. So I'm, I don't, I, I just don't know what kids are into these days or what their intelligence levels probably are, but it makes sense that they're grabbing for younger people because mm-hmm. especially if we're all getting older as a fan base. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it keeps it alive. Right. And if, uh, if our daughter gets, you know, to like four or five or something and she walks in on Rachel and I watching prodigy, it's not going to be much of a concern, you know? So maybe that'll turn her into a fan. Maybe that's what they're hoping that (laughs) the kids will wander into their parents' room while they're watching prodigy and become a fan of prodigy. God forbid they walk in in the middle of a a salamander episode. (laughs) Turn it off. Turn it off. off. What are you doing, mommy? Why are, why are Troy and the doctor in those leotards? (laughs) (laughs) Oh yes. Uh, Again, like, so I've got a, I've got a, nine-year-old niece and an and then seven-year-old uh uh nephew and i don't know if they could tell you where what nickelodeon is wow yeah uh i just uh you know i i they could tell you about some twitch video or or some somebody on youtube yeah. But and you know whatever whatever the movie movie on Disney Plus is that they watch ad nauseum or Netflix ad nauseum. Um, but but like uh, Star Trek, like none of this stuff means anything to them, right? Because it like if it's not an event, 
it it really doesn't matter, right? Like the events are the Marvel films, the big blockbuster tentpole things that everyone talks about. That like they the kids talk about in school, your parents are talking about it at home, all of those things. The you know, you're kind of surrounded, enveloped by those things, and then you and then you keep moving. Um, but like the 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 kids when they're doing their like the the smaller events, the smaller events are kind of all over the place, but there isn't uh the discovery that's happening, pardon the pun, uh isn't happening on Paramount Plus um for kids, right? It's not happening on on uh in in it's not happening on Nickelodeon. Right, because kids would have to they would have to be watching the the network in order for that to happen. They don't watch TV. Yeah, they watch YouTube, everything. right? Yeah. Like, right. They stream everything. Everything is on demand. They watch stuff when they watch it. Yeah, but and, I think they even get introduced to stuff through YouTube if I understand. It's something that I've heard right. um people say is that like the kids' media today is of such intensely greater quality than anything we had as children mm-hmm. and yet their kids are watching like these algorithmically generated youtube videos of, which are the stuff of nightmares of spider-man peeing right. on a pregnant yeah. elsa or something like, right. this. <laughs> like i'm sure that older yeah. kids don't watch stuff like that um but but well <laughs> most of them i don't know right but yeah yeah like i just i think that i'll Based on like what I have seen from just you know putting stuff on for our daughter, is that like the shows on Nick Jr. at least have like and they're even like designing their scripts so that they can have like little clips to put on YouTube and then they right. have the like hey, you can watch more like here, right. Uh, and so, like, I I feel like a lot of kids just watch YouTube, and then if there's something they like, like maybe they'll like seek it out. Um, but I, like, I don't know how many kids have Paramount Plus too. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, but I guess that is what CBS. That's the problem that CBS is trying to solve, right? So, are they creating those types of uh, digestible clips? for YouTube for that algorithm discovery to to drive to drive uh the kids to get the parents to to subscribe to Paramount Plus. And do, yeah. do they have any other children's programming on Paramount Plus? They're yeah, so they've got uh you know, they've got like Dora the Explorer and there's the SpongeBob movie I've seen and, Peppa Pig. And, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so there's you watch Peppa Pig. Pig. Yeah. Right. There's yeah. there is definitely stuff there, but it's it's a lot of that stuff that's there. Well, they re- very they few, rebooted very little Rugrats. Of it in, they rebooted yeah. Rugrats. Oh, really? Oh. So ve- I was going to say that very that's very not. little of us. the yeah. Oh, see? Again, Nickelodeon is not a network for kids. It's for a ne- it's a network for adults that were kids when Nickelodeon was for kids. If you go to Universal that's, Studios, that's the tagline, but it's very long. You go to, they've got to like if you they've got to build a new building. If you go to Universal Studios in Florida, you know how they always show the Nickelodeon Studios right out front. It's yes. just like a nondescript gray 
building now that I think housed the right. Blue Man Group when they were performing at mm-hmm. Universal Studios. Yeah, yeah. Little depressing. Yeah, and no, yeah. like no slime fountain or anything. I always wanted to go there when I was a kid, and then when I was finally there, it was uh, deeply disappointing. Right. Yeah. Well, maybe it's a ma- macrocosm of what social networks would have. They have social ne- social networks have really short lives. Facebook being yes. kind of an outlier. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe like as your kid, you watch these things and grow up and then they either keep up with you or it loses relevance and the kids coming behind you are not going to be on the same page. Maybe, maybe it's just simply that. And yeah. who knows if yeah. Paramount Plus can square that hole. They're trying to square a lot of circles right now um, <laughs> with their service. And I'm yeah. <laughs> I'm not convinced they're going to make it. I know, th- I know their subscriber base lags behind several of the other services. Uh, but even Disney, man. Like they're not making their money on Mickey Mouse right now. Uh, they're making their money on Star Wars and Marvel and rides and hundred uh, percent adults showing up to Star Wars land and stuff like that. Like, you know, that's, they know, they know which side of their peanut butter and jelly sandwich has jelly on it. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. The, the, sweet side? the $6,000 Star Wars hotel, right? Who's, who's that? Yeah, oh my gosh. What? Oh my gosh. <sighs> that's sold out. Yeah, which is um yeah, yeah, you know. Uh, that that but that but that's what Paramount Plus is after, right? Mm-hmm. Paramount Plus is after trying to get those subscribers so that they can build Star Trek land, right? Ultimately, that is what they like they want to be able to do the things. They look at Disney and they're sitting there so so jealous Mm -hmm. they look like orions they are you know they're just so jealous the green ones um (laughs) um but like they want they they, just like warner brothers they've they've watched disney make print money Mm -hmm. with marvel and print money with star wars and they and they both said i want what they've got right now I don't want to do any of the work that got them there. Give me my gastric bypass and and staple on my six pack and just and just let me have that because that's because it's going to look genuine because that's what's hot I've right now. I've got a bumper sticker for you. Pa- yeah. Paramount Plus, the gastric bypass of streaming services. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, hey. that was that was the undercurrent in the video, right? Like, yeah, yeah. It, these studios are yeah. retooling and rebooting and, and pushing that Marvel money's delicious. Twenty two billion dollars. That's a lot. Absolutely. Of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it even yeah. it even applies to things that normally uh, has not enjoyed blockbuster success, right? Like. Uh, Blade Runner, for instance. Blade Runner is a very recognizable and influential work, but sure. like uh, calling it a blockbuster seems maybe a little exaggerated. Right. But it was recognizable. Maybe they just thought that recognizability in the intervening what thirty some odd years would translate into something more profitable. You got. The, I thought a decent movie out of it, but was it not profitable? I don't think it did. It the, bombed. Yeah, it, yeah, it didn't. It didn't do as well as they had, had predicted, which which was predictable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because what they were banking on was this cult status that mm-hmm. this film received, right? 
that it was a, you know, it was the thinking man, sci-fi, cyberpunk, blah, blah, blah. And everybody, you know, there are five editions that you can buy and people are buying the briefcase for 75 bucks and they, you know, and they laud it over and you can nerd out about it. But, you know, who cares? Um, ultimately, right. It's just, right. It's just a bunch of nerds watching a, right. Like a really slow movie that makes you think. And that like, that's the cool thing about, and that's always been the difference between Star Trek and Star Wars for me is that, and, 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 you know, another, uh, argument that I had with your video, which is that like, what was cool about Mandalorian was that you, you watch Mandalorian and, when you were done watching Mandalorian, you went and you talked to your friends about, oh, hey, did you watch it? Oh, man, yes, it was awesome. Remember when that thing happened? Yes, that was awesome. You high five and you move on. When you watch an episode of Discovery, I feel like you you asked your friend, hey, did you watch Discovery? And they say, yeah, oh, man, I really enjoyed it. And then you talk about what the things that happened in the episode mean. Right. And 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 there's you know, there's lots of uh, kind of conversation about how that, you know, like this existential existential conversations surrounding the the morality of the choices that were made and 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 how how you can um, draw uh, parallels to from the real world in in those things. So, like, you wind up having discourse around star trek where you wind up having conversations surrounding uh star wars with the exception of the last jedi i think there was a lot of discourse around the last jedi and rogue one and rogue one i don't think think disney liked that (laughs) right exactly but but also the box office played out that way too, because both of those films, while highly regarded, critically critically well received, were were mixed bags. They did not do as well mm-hmm. as as the as the parent company would have liked them to. I uh, I think you're absolutely right, man. And for me, in my personal experience, I have. I see a dichotomy in how people respond to Star Trek on the level of it creating conversations and people responding to Star Wars. Star Trek is traditionally science fiction and that kind of stuff is about our day and age, is about our future and all the social issues and all that kind of stuff and the what ifs and like you can sit there and speculate. And even with Discovery, part of the fun of that is that you're trying to figure out, well, what is Lorca from the future? Is he from the mirror universe? Like you're just trying to, right. to work it out. And that kind of stuff is fun for star Wars. I've never really seen those kinds of conversations. The kind of stuff that I've seen on that side of the aisle is more of like filmmaker love. Like mm-hmm. <clears throat> people love star Wars because it was like the effects and the visuals right. were incredible. I like, can't believe they did that in 1977. That's amazing. And they're having the right. same conversations about Mando, like that volume wall that they're using to project digital imagery. Incredible. I've seen one of those in person, man. It is mind blowing. The future is amazing as far as production is concerned. Um, But that's what people are talking about. Like, look at all the Kurosawa references in this one episode. Yes. Look at what they did. Look how, it was just like a Western. Yeah. Well, it was on purpose, but that's the kind of conversations. People who like Star Wars, I think, 
are more prone to go into filmmaking. People who like Star Trek are more prone to go to NASA and get a job. <laughs> Right, you know, right. <laughs> and that's the dichotomy of conversation right. that I've seen, and I'm probably like everything else right. wrong. But, but, but in, but in that, right, just inherently in that problem that I think you articulated beautifully is that the the people that go to film school are more likely to watch movies, and it's more likely to be even you know it's is more likely to be a larger part of the general public right people who enjoy going to the movies enjoy that experience are going to go and they're going to if they had a great experience are going to go again right and and really sit back and think about it or, or really sit back and enjoy it and get the popcorn and 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 have that experience again but people who enjoy sci-fi are going to go see the sci-fi film, maybe with their friends, come out, have a long discourse over dinner, really enjoy that, and then talk about in a few months, maybe doing something again in a reviewing back at home, right? Where they're in home and they can do both things at the same time, maybe pause the movie, do, you know, like have an active discourse about the things that they're watching at that particular moment, they're not likely to go back to the theater to watch it five, six, seven times. And even if they do, it's not at the same numbers because that Venn diagram is a, is a lot smaller than, than the star Wars Venn diagram, than the, you know, the, the general moviegoer Venn diagram. And that's, that's why those, you know, the the Star Trek films will never make as much money as the Star Wars films. That's why Blade Runner will never make the type of money that people are expecting it to make. Quite honestly, that's why Dune was awesome. Dune was incredible. But nobody's going, you know, but like, not nobody. The, the Infinity War crowd <laughs> isn't coming to Dune seven times. True. Right? That's it's it's just not happening. There's something that you're just not happening. You're saying you're describing like depth of engagement versus breadth of engagement, I guess. Like yes, that yes, a wide yes. audience versus a yes. an audience that's going to buy five different directors' cuts on DVD. Um, right. I mean, some of that is the fact that like physical media has totally imploded, right? And that I think you can make a ton of money off of a Blade Runner on DVD or Blu-ray or well, Blu-ray was out when physical media died, but after DVDs <laughs> died and people stopped right. buying, uh, for the most part, you you know you can't make a lot of money on DVD sales. So, like, you have to make money on your theatrical run. So it has to be as broad as possible. I, I think. Um, yeah, but I and just don't know how that's gonna play out in the next, like, in five years. Was that what is that? gonna look like because covid uh, has changed the game it's changed it. it's the pre it's premium it's premium uh these all of these streaming services mm -hmm. having the disney premium version hey you can wait seven weeks for this film to be on the service for nothing or you can pay 30 bucks and we you know we won't care how many people are in the movies or in your house watching it but Hey, you get to watch it. Yeah. 
you know, you get to watch it now and at your home. And Disney, you know, they figured it out. They watch what they're doing, man. They have a whole slate of of Marvel and Star Wars stuff coming out for streaming. They they see the writing on the wall. That's but, where it's headed. And and also too, though, just specifically when it comes to Star Trek, yes, Paramount Plus is far from the top of the pecking order when it comes to streaming services. But the business that it is doing does seem driven by Star Trek. Yeah. Just in terms of the fact that they're creating all these shows, I'm kind of personally frustrated by the idea that they're going through with a full 4K restoration of the director's edition of Star Trek, the motion picture, and it's not oh, coming out individually first. It's going oh. to Paramount Plus first, oh. which is a little annoying because, mm-hmm. I mean, th- they should have done that a long time ago. The fact that they mastered yeah. those effects in 480p is just beyond me. But at least it's coming and it will come out in its own release eventually. But the fact that a very, very niche release like that is getting time, attention, and resources for an Ultra HD uh, remaster to go exclusively to the streaming service. In addition to all of this new material that's being created, it seems like star Trek is writing a lot of paramount Plus's checks. I think that's true. I, I, I can't think of a single other show on paramount plus that is attractive to me personally. I mean, I know that the, there's a couple of heavy hitters they've got moving around, but like it just looks like star Trek's covering all their bases. Yeah. At least until Star Trek, Star, Star Trek is the only show, the only franchise with its own category in true yes. in Paramount Plus. You're watching. What are you watching on Paramount Plus right now? I'm watching Ghosts, but it's on CBS. I just watch it on yeah. Paramount Plus because yeah, yeah. So am I. That TV. movie. Rachel and I have like Rachel and I could sit and watch TV all yeah. <laughs> Like we watch the same shows. It's awesome. And that movie, uh, The Offer, is coming to Paramount Plus exclusively about the making of the Godfather. Yeah, I thought it was a mini series. God, it's cursed. Oh, is it? Though. Yeah. They... Oh, is it a mini series now? I thought it was a movie. Uh, a Quiet Place Two also. Oh. Was on is is on Paramount Plus. Okay. That's where I watched it. Interesting. Uh, and and so and the first one, but I like was Quiet Place two in the theater. It was yeah. like oh, it came out in the theater like for like that two weeks where we thought COVID was over. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> all of this over. to say that right, who is Prodigy for? Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's it's for us. It's for why us. is it on? Why it's is it a Nickelodeon it. show? Yeah. Is yeah. is is the question, or what is Nickelodeon like? Who is Nickelodeon for? It may be really the question. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we're going to get any closer to an answer, but uh, I Cicero solved it pretty much, probably. <laughs> but I, I I I certainly enjoyed the journey to to the unanswered resolution that we've that we've kind of come to here. But really, at the end of the day, I mean, it sounds like we all enjoyed it. Um, Kyle, I was a little dis- disappointed to hear that you, uh, you aren't as much of a fan of lower decks. Um, I, I was, nah, uh, I know I'm, I'm disappointed in me. I was sorry to hear that. Uh, everyone I mean, tells me that. It's like, what's wrong with you? I thought you were a fan. No, I, 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 I certainly <laughs> wouldn't think it. I thought you were cool. The, the, right. isn't it funny? And it is. The, the thing that I guess I find fascinating about it is that the show the show's entire premise of having like deep referential Star Trek humor is enough to support now two 
going on three seasons. And the fact that you can have a Tamarian bridge officer who's learned English and say like, oh, yeah, it's nice to – oh, yeah, what was – uh, Darmok and Jalada Tanagra. Uh, he's like trying to come up with something to say. You know, I, I've, I am charmed by that. But, uh, but hey, you know, like you said, it hits different for everybody. So, and at different ages too. Uh, Ten years from now, I might, I might feel very different about all of this. You know. Sure. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Well, you know, again, man, I, I will say that the not my trek guys always seem to uh, add a series to what is their trek every time some new trek comes out so if you wait long enough you know even lower decks will be your trek. i saw a star wars meme that was uh like when the prequels came out it said what a piece of junk like luke from episode four right and then right. when the, the disney movies come out it's luke from the last jedi going the prequels the sacred texts you know <laughs> it's, it, it's it's weird what changes but um no, I mean, I, I think we're all at least in agreement on on Prodigy looks cool. Obviously, you know, two episodes in, technically, there's a lot of runway and a lot of chance for it to go off the rails, but strong initial showing and uh, yeah. look forward to seeing that there is a chance for it to soar. Absolutely. Yeah, most definitely. Well, um, Kyle. Again, thank you so much for being a part of this. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. We're absolutely thrilled. anytime we can have the chance to have you on is always a, a thrill for us since we're all fans of your work. Um, is there anything that you'd like to tell our listeners about uh, what's going on with you? Maybe what you have coming next, uh, the status of your film, for instance. Take it away. Uh, thank you for having me on. This has been fantastic. Always happy to come here. I listen. I think I'm caught up now. Actually, I was behind a little right. while, but um, I'm I'm the one guy heckling you guys from just <laughs> off screen. You think what? Um, <laughs> right, right. Uh, that analogy sucks. Sounds <laughs> like a turducken of analogies. Right. <laughs> uh, I am currently directing a, an Ruth Bader Ginsburg feature length documentary. Awesome. I've got uh, a romantic comedy that we're trying to do. Uh, that's yeah, ish. blockbuster. Uh, <laughs> I wish there's not going to be a single explosion, unfortunately. Oh, no. uh, budget budget reasons. Um, Michael Bay is turning over in his grave. He is. He's he's still alive. Is he sleeping? Yeah, he sleeps in a grave. You mean Michael Bay is a vampire. Sucking <laughs> blood first, folks of the West Side Story for thirty films. Right, uh, yeah. Um. And I'm going to do some more expertise. I've got a really great essay coming up about uh, the wealth gap and um, DS9's past tense. And there was a science fiction show that was on Netflix. It was really great. It had two seasons. It was about the disc you slid into your neck. Uh, what's it called? Oh, Ooh, the disc you slid into yeah, your neck? Yeah, the stack, right? And people could live in it forever, but they just keep changing bodies. They called them sleeves. Anyway, oh, good stuff coming. That's all I have oh, to say. Cool. I don't think. Thank I've you for having show. me on. Of course, well, it's, cool. a, it's a science fiction show. It's re, it's a completely over the top. That that's oh, great. Awesome. No, we're really our algorithm probably buried it for us. Figures. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. we're, we're all slaves to it. Well, yeah. uh, hopefully, we'll have you on again at some point. Maybe we'll have to check in with you either at the midpoint or the end point of uh, of Prodigy and see if it stuck the landing for you or not. And um, you know what? There's a good chance. And I say this because I put this show together. There's a good chance I think that we might want to talk about the Matrix Resurrections. 
Um, so oh, yeah, that's right. Those films are coming out this I year. Forgot, yeah. That's you know, if, <laughs> that's a thing. If you're inclined, we'd love to have yeah. you for that too. It might be I'd, fun. I'd, I'd, are you kidding me? I'd love to watch and talk about the matrix that's, that's easy <laughs> yeah <laughs> excellent great whoa <laughs> well uh everybody thank you very much for for listening but that's going to do it for episode number 63 of discovery debrief we hope you enjoyed the show and if you did please like and follow us on our social media channels and if you'd be so kind we'd also appreciate it if you wrote a review for the show on itunes or facebook it only takes some or meta i don't know it only takes a minute and we'll be happy to read your review on the air when it's posted. If you have any questions, you can follow the show on Twitter at DSC Debrief, where you can also find all of our individual Twitter handles and feel free to send us questions through Twitter, our Facebook like page, or by emailing us at hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. Please be sure to set your courses for this feed for future episodes and be sure to join us next time as we discuss the next adventure of the Starship Protostar. As always, though, until we meet again, please... Go boldly, my friends. Mm-hmm.